if you have a copy of God's Word, to 1 Kings chapter 21. And again tonight, I'm going to uh, read from uh, the Legacy Standard Bible version, which is just an updated of the New American Standard. And I've been doing that in the evening services uh, because one of the distinctives of that translation, and we have several good modern English translations, but it's just been helpful in our evening service um, because uh, this uh, translation translates the Hebrew name for God, for the Lord, as Yahweh. And um, while that might be a little strange to some folks, that, that, is, that is who he is. That is the name that he revealed to Moses and to his people. And so it can be refreshing uh, and kind of grab our attention to hear the name of the Lord. I'm going to read uh, 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. I'll read the entire chapter. Now it happened after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If it is good in your sight, I will give you the price of it in money." But Naboth said to Ahab, Yahweh forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house sullen and enraged because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now exercise kingship over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be merry. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters saying, call for a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two vile men before him and let them testify against him saying, you cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him so that he will die. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They called for a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two vile men came in and sat before him, and the vile men testified against him, against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones, and he died. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Now it happened that when Jezebel heard what Naboth had been, that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. 
Now it happened when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says Yahweh, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says Yahweh, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of Yahweh. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also Yahweh has spoken, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of the sky will eat. Surely there was no one who sold himself to do what is evil in the sight of Yahweh like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. And he acted very abominably in the following idols, in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done whom Yahweh dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Now it happened when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of Yahweh came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, every portion. And we pray that tonight as we examine this this account of your servant Naboth and your servant Elijah the Tishbite, we pray that you would instruct us, young and old here, for living in these evil and perverse and wicked days. Equip your people, we pray, and grant us fresh hope and courage for living for Christ. In his name we ask. Amen. Well, Ahab is a bit of a, a bit of a spoiled brat, isn't he? We find him uh, rather down on several occasions. At the end of chapter 20, verse 43, We find him sullen and enraged. Over in chapter 21, we we find him, well, he's he won't eat and he's sleeping because he's depressed about he can't have the field or vineyard of Naboth. And then when he's confronted with the judgment of God, once again he's despondent. And so Ahab is quite a character, and we're told in chapter 24. 1 verse 25, there was no one who sold himself to do what is evil 
in the sight of the Lord or Yahweh like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Ahab is quite a character. Um, but we learn more here about um, the, mere, more char- mere, the character of Ahab. We're learning about godly character and living in evil and crooked and perverse days, as I prayed. We see here in this chapter some profound lessons about how we are to live for God and for Christ in these days. I want to walk through the chapter with you and just examine uh, each of these characters and some of the lessons that we can have, but I especially want to leave us tonight with what the text always leaves us with, and that is an understanding more of our God, once again, especially of his judgment and of his mercy. So first look with me at verses 1 through 4. The story is plain and clear that Ahab at this point um, is in Jezreel, uh, one of the capital cities that he and his partner in crime, Jezebel, particularly liked. And he liked uh, one uh, special vineyard that he saw. It was apparently very productive. It was beautiful. It was situated just so. And it was owned by one Naboth. And in verses 1 through 4, we learn of Naboth's God-fearing stand. Naboth's God-fearing stand. We don't often think of Naboth in our list of heroes, but he's a hero. He is a God-fearing man. And it's when Ahab comes to ask him for his vineyard, it's, it's not a matter of just Naboth holding on to his real estate, to his property. He's actually standing upon a principle, more than a principle, a command that was given by God through Moses in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. And there God made it clear that those who inherited the land, remember the land was a gift of God to his people, and the land was apportioned, apportioned out to the various tribes, and within the tribes to the various families. And so your possession of the land was part of your fidelity to God and an expression of your faith in his covenant to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that he would give this land to Abraham's descendants. It was part of the character of God and part of the expression of the covenant that God had entered into with his people. We tend to think of land and property as just, you know, items to be sold. I'm I'm rather sensitive to that right now as uh, we... uh, we we're involved in, in some real estate at the moment. Um, and uh, uh, anyhow, we, we just these things, we, we, it's how we think of things. We might own a few acres. We might own a property. We might want to keep it. We might want to sell it. But we don't think of our land, most of us as, well, maybe Tom does. It's been his family for a few hundred years now. But most of us don't think of our land as that kind of, of item where we've inherited it. And it has that much meaning to us. But for Naboth, again, this is not a matter of just he likes his vineyard. This is fidelity to God. Now think about the difficulty that Naboth lived under. He's a God-fearing man. He lives in Jezreel, apparently. And for years, he's been living with the reality of Jezebel, as other God-fearing people have been. There aren't many God-fearing people left, apparently. Remember, she's had a, had a, had a go at, at cleaning out most of the true faithful prophets. Um, Elijah, when he says, I alone am left, we tend to give him a hard time for that. But in fact, in reality, from his perspective, it probably was true. Remember, he doesn't have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. He doesn't know that there are other prophets alive. 
And for all he knows, he could be the last one. But God had said he would leave 7,000 who would not bow the knee or kiss Baal, and Naboth is one of those 7,000. He is not a man who has bowed the knee to Jezebel or kissed the face of the idol Baal. And so Naboth's been living with this discomfort. And, And this is so helpful because here we are living in the day we are in, and it is very uncomfortable to be a Christian in this culture right now. Um, it is, is extremely uncomfortable. Um, we understand that there are agendas that are being uh, shoved upon this nation and upon people that are an abomination to God. We want to live quiet lives. We're not out on the street raising up signs and protesting and so forth. We want to live quiet, godly lives, but we live in times where increasingly our government in particular and those in power, uh, they're not content with that. They, they are not content with us leading quiet, godly lives. They don't want us to even enjoy that quiet. We're not experiencing, most of us, a great deal of persecution. But then again, there's some among us who might work for a corporation where they're being asked to uh, share their pronoun at the end of the email. Seriously, that's where we're at. That's live. Think about it. You have a career. You love God. You know that man is made in the image of God, male and female. He created them in his image. And you have no intention of bowing to the, the idea of our society that you can be whatever you want. You can make up your gender and and just maybe we have Christians out there who are saying, I don't want to bow to that. I'm not going to share my pronoun. I am he, and I have always been he since I was born. And there goes your career advance. That's happening all over the place right now. Medicine, if you have the audacity to uh, refuse to cooperate in with parents who come and they want to assistance in changing through hormone or surgical treatment the, the sex of their child, and you do not go with that, you're, you're done. Your career's over and worse, you could be sued. This is the days we live in. And those of us who are older, we really do need to wake up, and I think we are awake, but I think we really need to come alongside uh, the younger ones among us and equip them and encourage them for living in these days. These are evil and wicked and perverse days. It was evil and wicked to, of our president to this past week to, um, to pass this or to want to pass this, this executive fiat, this demand that these loans, these college loans, he just, because he wants to, is going to give $10,000 to, to those who have loans, and that's a whole separate subject. But these are the, what do you think about the people who have worked hard? And it's immoral is what it is. It's not on par with Jezebel's uh, murder of the prophets, but it's immoral. It is immoral. These are the days we live in. And it's uncomfortable. And here we find in the Bible all these years ago that God's people also lived in such times. We don't have maybe Jezebel yet, but we all have the sense as believers she might right be right around the corner, whoever she or he is, as we see our nation and our, our really not just our nation, our world. 
And it is difficult for us, but we've been told that in the last days, difficult times would come. So here is Naboth, living in days maybe not unlike our own, where idolatry is rampant, um, godless immorality is the norm, and he has been trying in Jezreel just to maintain his life of fearing and obeying God, but, but the government is not content with that. And so we see in verses 5 through 10, we move from Naboth's God-fearing stand based on the law of God. And he, as a love for God, he says, no, I won't sell you my land. Uh, before we move on, I need, to, I need to point out that that's really a good illustration of what our Lord said this morning. Uh, he was in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. You say, Jesus was here this morning? Well, kind of, by his spirit in his word. But there Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And we see Naboth as a very good example of that. He's rendered apparently to Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, he's been going, he hasn't, he hasn't been working for a revolt. He hasn't tried to assassinate Jezebel. He's been living a quiet life. But when it comes, when the government asks for what belongs to God, Naboth says, no, it's not yours. And it's not even mine to give it to you. I can't do that. And that's a helpful principle for us in living in in evil days. And when you find yourselves in difficult situations, it's not so much as a believer, if you're under the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to please him, it's not so much that you won't do that. Here's a really helpful phrase I I want to encourage you to use. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to. I'm I'm not at liberty to do that. What do you mean? Well, I'm you may not say this, but you know in your heart you're an owned man or woman. You have a God, you have a Lord, you've been bought with a price, and you are not at liberty to give to Caesar what belongs to God when Caesar asks for it. So Naboth is a great example of that, his courage. But we wish the story went something like Mount Carmel. We wish we wish at this point that fire would just come down and consume Jezebel. We'd be pretty happy about that. We'd think that's a great story. Um, can't you just cause some of that fire that was over on Mount Carmel to come down in Jezreel at whatever the zip code is and the, the address for this evil woman and her cowardly husband? But God doesn't. And that's part of the pain of this chapter is, is this innocent, righteous man is slaughtered. And he is slaughtered because of Jezebel's bloodthirsty unrestraint. Her bloodthirsty unrestraint. This is a this is a good example of what happens when those in authority lack any moral restraint. And that is that is the reality of our day. When there's not an internal moral check, not only God's people, but all kinds of people are at peril. And we see this described here. Naboth's fear for the law of God is not respectable to Jezebel. She doesn't recognize that as his faith. No, she just wants what she wants. And she sees that her husband, King Ahab, has lacking the the guts to do what she would have done, which is just taken from Naboth what she wants. So she, this is really remarkable, isn't it? We see Jezebel's lack of restraint and we see Ahab's cowardice, his 
craven cowardice. I mean, he's sullen and enraged. And she comes to him. It's really a pathetic scene. Why is, verse 5, why is it your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? It's like a two-year-old telling his mommy, you know, that Johnny hit him or Johnny isn't playing nice. Only this is a grown man. He's the king of Israel. And he tells her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said da-da-da-da. I mean, it's, it's, it's something. And you see the, the self-centeredness and the, just the lust and greed of those in authority who are evil and wicked. So she basically says, hey, uh, aren't you the king of Israel? This is no problem. Why don't you get up and have some bread, eat some donuts, and um, I'll take care of it for you. And so she, really, their scheme is, is vile and wicked. She uses the pretense, <clears throat> excuse me, of the law of God. <clears throat> you remember at times when there was a problem in Israel of old, that there were occasions when it was clear it, because, it was because there was some evil or some sin in the land. The utter hypocrisy of Jezebel, of all people, to call for a fast as though there was something wrong. If there was a problem in Israel, in the north, the drought and all that, it wasn't because of anyone else's sin. It was Ahab and Jezebel's sin. But she uses that pretense and, and sends this letter in Ahab's name and sealed it with his seal, verse 8, and the, the, the insidiousness of this design, of this plan, he, she writes to the elders and nobles of the town. They know Naboth. They've witnessed his righteous life. His kids have gone to school with his kids. They've, they've done business together. But when Jezebel, who is feared by all, sends letters... These men in, in cowardice comply, and they betray him. She wants them to call a fast, acting as though there's some evil and there's something wrong, and call Naboth and put him up front on trial. And then she orders for them to find two worthless fellows, some two sons of Belial or vile fellows, who don't care about anything and Jezebel pays them enough, they'll say anything. They lie about Naboth. You curse God and the king. What's tragic is that these men in the town comply. Ahab is wicked. Jezebel is wicked. But those who comply with this are equally wicked in the sight of God. And again, it's a, it's a warning and an instruction to us tonight. And I, I know the time is going to come for each one of us. It may not be as dramatic as this. It just may be a matter where you need to tell the truth and everyone else is going along with the lie. In the workplace where you just, however politely, refuse to go along with the the agenda and the dictate of the day. 
you will not comply because you fear God. But make no mistake, just sometimes just going along is to put in your hand with evil. These men out of cowardice who bow to Jezebel's demand become guilty before God of Jezebel's sin. Don't join yourselves to evil. And of course we have in these two characters this just bald-faced wickedness. So they stone Naboth, and we learn later in 2 Kings, not only did they stone Naboth, they also took care of his sons just to make sure that there wasn't any claim to the land remaining. They take out Naboth, they take out anyone who could possibly lay claim to the land, and they send word back to Jezebel, it's done. Verse 14, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. So, it's very cavalier, isn't it? It's just business. It's another thing we learn about evil and wicked government. Sometimes we say, how could we do this? How could they do that? How could anyone act in that kind of cold and calculating and heartless way? We as Bible people need to be wise and not surprised. Because we've been told this is what evil rulers can be like, and those in wicked authority over us. They can have no conscience and no problem with what doing what to us is unthinkable. She's very cavalier about it. It's just business for her. It happened when she heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead. She said to Ahab, verse 15, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give to you, for Naboth is not alive but dead. (laughs) And tonight we know Naboth is not dead but alive. Just like we learned this morning, as Jesus said, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the living, Jesus said. Surely God is the God of Naboth. And Jezebel was sorely mistaken. Well, it's very sad. We see here the evil and wickedness of Jezebel, but we don't want to move too quickly and lose Naboth's courage. He really ought to be a hero to us. And may God raise up among us more Naboths, men and women who fear God. And and when the government or anyone else, employer, comes and demands with fearful repercussions that we bow the knee. May God grant us a stiff backbone to however politely say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to do that. We put ourselves into the hands of God, but we are told here in this text that it doesn't always work out well immediately. God doesn't, in this case, come immediately to the aid of Naboth and to his sons. He is stoned. He is bloodied and left like a lump of meat in the field. Dale Ralph Davis is helpful in pointing that out in his commentary. He's, Naboth doesn't seem to have a defender. And that's how we may feel sometimes. 
But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story at all. In the second half of chapter 21, we learn that though it seemed as though heaven was silent, heaven was watching. Heaven was watching. The word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, came to Elijah the Tishbite. We had thought Elijah was kind of out of the scene for a while. We hadn't heard from him for a while. But God was around. God had not gone anywhere. And God still had his man. And he commands Elijah to go down and to meet Ahab. And Elijah is a man of orders. And think of how this, how, what the courage this took. He had received the personal notification from Jezebel that may the gods do to me and so and more so if by tomorrow you are not like one of the prophets of Baal that you slaughtered. Elijah still has a price on his head. Jezebel hasn't forgotten Elijah the Tishbite. He's still a dead man, is still as she concerned. And yet Elijah has regained courage. He's been emboldened by the Lord by Yahweh meeting with him at Mount Sinai. He's gone back and he's been commissioned and recommissioned and he's back on his mission. And so with courage and with immediate obedience, he goes and speaks to the king what needs to be said. He delivers the judgment of the Lord. And he reveals to Ahab that nothing was hidden. The Lord saw it all. This is such an encouragement to us when we are in situations that we maybe do what is right, we're, we, we are faced with a situation that's complex or difficult, and, and maybe others don't really know. We may be in a workplace, we may be in a school, we, wherever we may be in our town, in our family even, and we, we do something that we know is right, and yet we pay the penalty. It seems as though no one sees, but we need to remember God always sees He takes heed of those who live and stand for him. So God was not standing by idly while Naboth, his servant, was serving and standing for him. God knows that Ahab murdered Naboth, took his, stole his field. And God is very direct. And this ought to put fear in our hearts, but also comfort. First, fear. We have, we have totally failed this generation in lying to them. We have lied them by telling to them only partial the truth about God. We have presented him as, as love, meaning that he is, he is almost licentious. In other words, he, he lets anything go. And that is, that is abominable. That is blasphemy. He is a God of holiness in his love. His love is a holy love, always. And so he is a God of judgment. And if you disobey him and if you spurn him and if you, if you mess with his people, he will treat you and your blood like that which should be licked up by the dogs. Is that your God? I don't know. Doesn't work so good on a Hallmark card, does it? But that's the God of the Bible. He's a God of holy love. And if he is your father, and if you are his servant, and if you are bought by the blood of his son, you are saved. You are safe 
from his judgment because it was poured out on his son. But if you are apart from his son and you have the audacity and pride to stand on your own before him and to stand in your sins, you're going to face the judge. God sends Elijah with a very direct message. Ahab, you shouldn't have done that. No. Ahab, verse 19. In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. See the justice of that? Justice? The equality of that? God God meets the sin with an appropriate and vindicating judgment. Ahab, in verse 20, still is not impressed. This is just that old Elijah the Tishbite. Have you met me, or found me, my enemy? Ahab's kind of smug. After all, he's got Jezebel in his vineyard, and what's Elijah got? But notice how he changes his tune. Um, the judgment keeps coming. Uh, Elijah, imagine the courage. Here's another hero tonight, Elijah the Tishbite. I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of of Yahweh. Ahab was the rightful king of Israel, and yet he sold himself for his own desires. He sold himself out and betrayed Yahweh. And therefore, God issues a severe judgment. God swept away the house of Jeroboam. We've learned about that in our study of 1 Kings. God swept away the house of Basha. We've learned about that in our study. And as for Jezebel, notice it. And the text is intentional. It's not accidental. The dogs will lick up the blood of Ahab. God says the dogs will eat Jezebel. And these dogs, these are not nice golden retrievers. (laughs) These dogs in Israel of old were treated, they were like wolves. They were, they were unclean. They were, they were not, you know, nice family pets necessarily. The dogs were, we might think of them like rats. And Jezebel, high and mighty, all in power, seemingly untouched. God says the dogs are going to eat her. It is the most shameful kind of death. Remember, you're living in a culture at this time that cherishes burial. What happens to your body and to your bones really matters, and I think it should today as well. But back then, it was, it was the worst thing. It was the most shameful thing. If you died and your, your bones were just left drying on the ground, or, or if somehow you were, you were ravaged, eaten by dogs, or, or by the birds of the sky. It was a shameful thing. God says he's going to treat Jezebel's body with absolute contempt. We find a very similar kind of judgment at the close of Isaiah, chapter 66. You don't need to turn there, but it's, it's just amazing that God in his judgment, and we know in Revelation that God will resurrect the wicked, And they will be committed to hell with those resurrected bodies to receive the just judgment of God. Fearful. The fearful judgment of God. He is good. 
He is kind. He is patient. He is loving. But he is a holy judge. And this puts fear in our hearts. It ought to. We ought to fear God. We don't want to be judged, but it also ought to encourage us. This ought to be such an encouragement to us. I don't know how you live without this truth. In this, in this culture right now, where kids are, are just, we, don't, we can't even fathom the kinds of things that happen to, for example, little innocent children. Or we see elderly in our culture being treated in ways we can't even think of. And we see wickedness multiplying, and we see the slaughter of the unborn, and our hearts just, we, we just, we can't take it in. We literally can't, and I don't think we're designed to. So how do we go to bed at night? How do we rest knowing that evil is so rampant and that truly innocent people have been treated so horribly? By knowing that there is a, there is a vindicator, there is a, there is a judge, and there is a reckoning coming. There is a reckoning. That's the only way I can sleep. There is not one single, think about it, it's a fearful thing, but it's also very encouraging. There is not one single act of wickedness, of abuse, of violence, that will not be accounted for in the last day. And I keep referencing Isaiah 66. It's, it's kind of uh, caught my attention ever since studying it a few years ago. They will, uh, uh, let's go there. I've referenced it now several times. I know we need to close Isaiah 66. Where is Isaiah? <laughs> Isaiah Jeremiah. It's, it's, it's amazing. At the end of this uh, chat, this whole section on comfort, comfort my people, Isaiah 40. And the last verse in Isaiah, this book of comfort to God's people of Judah, is that in the future day, in the new heavens and the new earth, All mankind will come to worship before me, says the Lord, in the new Jerusalem. And then they will go forth and look on the corpses of men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an object of contempt to all mankind. And we think, how can that be? I mean, is that just kind of gross, you know, curiosity? Of course not. Those who are going to worship the Lord at this point are redeemed, holy men and women. They're not interested in, in what is grotesque or what is horror. So what possibly could this be involved what could be involved in this? What could possibly be good about this? God is worshipped in part for the display of his judgment upon the Jezebels of this world. And it will forever, hell, and the judgment of God will forever be to the praise of the justice and the holiness of God and that there was not one single innocent or righteous man or woman who was abused by a Jezebel who will get away with it 
It's, it's, it's an amazing scene. So back to 1 Kings chapter 21, we see a, a, a powerful introduction to Yahweh, the Lord's judgment. And don't lose this. This is not the Old Testament God, because there's only one God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not, shall not perish in hell, but have everlasting life. This is our God, God of fearful judgment. We can be saved, but think about it. This kind of judgment is the kind of judgment that our Lord Jesus Christ received in himself on the cross. There's no evidence that Jezebel was saved. I'm not saying that. But you think about the sin of the world and the vileness of it and the wretchedness of it, and we see the severity of the judgment of God and at the cross bearing down upon Christ. It's amazing. So we see Yahweh's judgment. In the close of chapter 21, we also see Yahweh's mercy. The text says, verse 25, Surely there was no one who sold himself to do what is evil in the sight of Yahweh like Ahab. Ahab is in a class of his own, and so is Jezebel. But after the second round of the specifics about the judgment, Ahab went from indifference to remorse. Tears his clothes, he puts on the signs of humility, humbles himself, fasts, and he went about despondently. And the Lord looks upon his act of humility and takes note. It's amazing. And we want to say, Lord, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. Ahab's Ahab. You should judge him. Look what he did to Naboth. But God is a God of judgment, but when he reveals his name to his people, he first and foremost loves to reveal himself as a God who is abounding in mercy, abounding in mercy and loving kindness. And what an example is here. Ahab humbles himself. The Lord sees that and withholds immediate judgment upon Ahab. It would seem that Ahab's repentance is not long-lived. It likely is not even sincere. But what an evidence here that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So he is a God of judgment, but oh, is he a God of mercy. Mercy that's beyond our mercy, beyond my mercy. And we love him and we fear him for this. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, may God make us like Naboth, the Jezreelite. May we stand for Christ and for the things of God in the face of the Jezebels of this world. May we take heart when we suffer loss of all kinds, knowing that even if there is immediate loss, we have a God who takes note and who will judge and vindicate in the end. Let's pray. God, we do fear you. We, we tremble a bit 
this story is interesting, but it's terrible things we read of, the slaughter of this innocent man, but then the, your judgment upon Jezebel and Ahab is surely gets our attention. So we run to Christ tonight. We run to Christ as those who are sinners, who also have harmed others for our own selfish desires. We run to Christ and we trust in him afresh and we thank you for giving him as a substitute for us. That for all who repent and turn to him, even like the thief on the cross, that that we would know that we are forgiven, that we are cleansed, that we are saved from your just judgment. Help us to rejoice in this tonight and help your people to take heart that in a world where it seems that the devil gets away with everything, that we will take heart knowing that he will not get away with anything and that there will be a day of reckoning. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.